0: Let's have a word prayer and then we will talk about um, what we're going to get into today as well as maybe preview what we're going to talk about next week and uh, we'll get going. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you thankful that we're able to um, examine who you are uh, through your word. We pray for your uh, help and strength over this time, Lord, that we might be able to um, think clearly, and uh, reflect on your greatness and even your love for us. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Alright. Well, uh, you will see on your little handout there, today we're going to talk about the infinity of God. Next week, we're going to talk about the holiness of God. So that gives you a little insight of what we're going to tackle next week. Next week is going to be a little... Um I know infinity sounds kind of uh academic. Um holiness uh gets into some tough things to think about, but also kind of convicting things. But today, today we're gonna talk about infinity. Isn't that exciting? I know a lot of times when you're thinking about the Lord, you're probably thinking, I wonder what infinity is like. Probably not. Um, I'm drawing something, I'm not a good drawer, wasn't given that gift, but does everyone know what this symbol means? Infinity. All right, this is, this is from mathematics. Does anyone need a pencil, by the way? I just used what I needed to use from that. Okay, um, I'll leave it here. But, uh, yeah, this is the infinity symbol for Mathematics. I draw that and let you see that because uh, I want you to understand that we have been learning infinity wrong throughout our entire high school and college programs, Uh, and I don't want us to mix that up with what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Infinity. When you're talking about infinity in mathematics, uh, isn't it true that in math, uh, two, you have two points, right? And how many points can fit between any two points? Infinitely many, infinitely many. So let's say I have a point here and a point over there and an infinite amount of points between that, right? So how long would it take a human to walk an infinite amount of points? An infinite amount of time. Uh, this is uh, called a Zeno's paradox. Zeno was a was a philosopher around before even Socrates was around, so he's he's been dead for a long time. But uh, his his point was that uh, not that trying to disprove infinity, but he was trying to disprove movement. Uh, but that's not important. What is important is uh, every time we have tried to. Uh, Create some kind of understanding of infinity in mathematics, we come to paradoxes. More recently, there's a guy named Russell, Bertrand Russell. He was an ornery philosopher. Uh, And he, uh, they were trying to come up with this idea of set, what's called set theory. And set theory is just when you put stuff in sets, it's very complicated. Um, So he said, well, what if we have... uh, what if we put all even numbers in a set? How many even numbers can we possibly have? Infinite, infinite amount, right? But what about the odd numbers? They so said we have a set of odd numbers and have an infinite amount of odd numbers. And so you have an infinite amount of sets that, in which the numbers never match. So how can you have two infinities concerning numbers? Paradox, yes. In other words, when it comes to creation, things that we come into contact with in creation, infinity is a theory. Not. It's not real. It's something we say is this theoretical thing so that our mathematics works. But it's not real. Um, the whole logic of it falls apart. Um... If you have an infinite amount of numbers, if you took just one number out, would it still be an infinite amount of numbers? The answer is yes, which means it's not really infinite at all. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, That and uh, numbers are uh, something we came up with. It's not really anything inculcated in the mind of God or anything. So, I say all that to say... We might have a very strange view of infinity because we've been taught infinity through math. And uh, math doesn't work so well with infinity. It leads to a paradox. Because creation wasn't meant for infinity. There's only one thing that's infinite. And it's not even a thing. It's a who. right? It's God. So I say all that, hopefully not to confuse you or to bore you. Which I think may, both of those things may have just happened. But, <laughs> to show you that what we're going to talk about today is something much more magnificent than mathematical, theoretical infinity. Okay, well, <laughs> if you look at your little piece of paper, um, the way we have to talk about God is a different way than we talk about almost anything else. Um, When we talk about something, someone who is so unique—well, not so unique. You're either unique or not. Uh, he's unique. There's nothing like him. So, how do you talk about God? Oftentimes, we have to talk about him in the negative. In other words, what he is not. Does that make sense? So, your first—we call that uh, apoph. <laughs> Why can't I say it now? Apophatically? That sounds right. Um, we use negation. That's your first, your first little thing to fill in there. We use negation. Why do we have to do that? Because we live in creation. Everything we want to compare God to is stuff we've seen in creation. And is God reliant on creation? I think we talked about this last week. God does not rely on creation. He doesn't need it. You remember what we talked about. And so if there is nothing he needs, if he is so separate from creation that he doesn't need it or rely on it, and that's the only thing we have to compare, then we oftentimes have to say what he's not. We have to use negation. This kind of talking about God, uh, we do this so that we can speak of God in silence. In silence that makes sense. Speaking of God in silence, it's a way of talking about the almighty God who defies all creation, right? Um, When I say defies creation, he can't be compared to it because he is way different than that. Um, There's a word they use, they use transcend, but I found that word is confusing to me. Maybe it's not to you. But. Um, so if we're going to talk about God's infinity, what are we, how, what kind of negation are we making there? Infinity. What, what's that word mean? Without limits? Yes. That's right. In fact, I have that, right? That's the very next thing. Um, God's infinity is that perfection of God by which he is free from all limitations. So infinity, not finite. So we're already talking about God in the negative, right? So infinity isn't a positive statement. It's a negative statement. We're saying what he is not. He is not finite. Finite has limits. Does that make sense? So uh, I had to set my alarm this morning. Because... Uh, I have a tendency to sleep longer than I should, so the alarm wakes me up. These are one of my limits. I get tired, right? We all get tired. Um, I had to drive here in a vehicle because one of my limits is that I'm not not very fast. I can't run very fast. And then I get tired when I run. I'm talking about all these things because I think sometimes we don't understand just how many limits we have even when it comes not just to our physical activity but our thinking. Um, our trying to understand God um, our thinking is so limited that we have to use this negation. So God is not limited your next uh, term there, your, God is not limited by time or space we call time-space. Now that's important. Um, There are two syndromes that I uh, see people tending toward when it comes to God. They either have the Superman syndrome or the Star Wars syndrome. This is very uh, very pop culture-y. But the Superman syndrome is where most Christians are. The Superman syndrome is a syndrome in which you, you imagine God to be pretty much like us humans, but he has these super impressive powers. So he's he he has some limitations, but we would never say that. We would just say, well, you know, God has to allow this to happen, and He has to give me my free will so that I can do this, and you know, God, and we we kind of talk about Him as this thing that's pretty powerful, but He has to kind of put His hand in when it needs it, right? Where. Uh, well, I'm having this trouble, so God, now I need your hand to come in. You haven't been doing anything yet, but now I need you to swoop in like Superman and save me. Does that make sense? And we kind of imagine a God that thinks the way we think and would do things the way we would do things, but he just has super awesome powers. Um, This is where most of my... Uh, students, when I taught uh, philosophy courses, this is where most of my students were coming from. Uh, this is where I would get phrases like, Now, why would a God ever allow X to happen? Why is there so much suffering and pain in this world? If he can stop it, why wouldn't he stop it? And why do they ask that, those questions? They ask those questions because they would stop it, right? They're upset. Because God's not acting the way they would act. Because they imagine God to be Superman. Right? If God's so powerful, why isn't he doing exactly what I would do in that situation? Is what they're asking. They don't realize how arrogant and kind of illogical it is to say those things. But that's where a lot of people come from. It's even where we come from when something really tough happens to us. Or God puts us through something that is, almost feels unreasonable. And we immediately think, why would he do this? Why do we ask that question? Because we wouldn't have done it that way, that's for sure. (laughs) Right? And so when we have the Superman Syndrome, we forget the limitlessness of our God. The infinity of our God. Uh, The Star Wars Syndrome is looking at God as a force. And this is usually where most unsaved people come from. That uh, God is this, you know, we might think of him as a person, but really he's just this strong, immense power that forces itself in some areas and not in other areas and things like that. But God is above all those things, but he is above all those things as a person. So he does not, and this is the next thing, he does not merely extend himself or spread out. We're not talking about a God who is made of parts, and so he's just really big. And he's extended over a bunch of time and space. But he is uh, way different than that. Right? We would expect ourselves, like if we were to say, I am infinite, you would imagine someone super huge, like bigger than the planet Earth. That like The planet Earth would be the size of his Adam's apple or something like that. Somewhere he's so big, he's, and this is where we can decide he's got the whole world in his hands, right? This idea, he's so big that he can hold the world in his hands. Well, that's not, we're not really saying that's what God's like, it's kind of how we would imagine the Superman God to be. He's so big that the world's small to him. But he is beyond time and space. Um, he's not so magnificent because he is so much bigger than the world. He's magnificent because he's beyond all this. He created time and space. He made time and space happen in a moment when it wasn't there before. That's what's so amazing about our God. Um, And we're going to get to where this (laughs) has some kind of meaning in our lives. I'm trying to paint for you the bigness of God in a way that it almost feels like he's distanced from us. Because in a way, there is a distance there, right? He doesn't depend on us Uh, for anything. He's not like trying to recruit as many Christians as he can so he can get all the praise because he just lives off that. It warms him because he's cold. You understand what I'm saying by that? So there is a greatness to him that's great beyond our very existence. If he snuffed us out, his greatness would continue. Um... So in relation to time, infinity is expressed as eternity. Okay? So the minute he created time-space, this infinity, and, and this is a way you can think of things, um, when something is introduced to a new environment, oftentimes, um, it's looked, uh, that, that environment creates a kind of way of looking at it. So... Uh, you take oxygen and uh, hydrogen and you introduce it to an environment like earth and you have this water. You introduce it to another environment and you have ice or you have uh, vapor or whatever it is. Does that make sense? So once you introduce the infinity of God to the environment of time-space, you have eternity. Where we think of God always being and will be here forever forever. So we see this linear idea of time-space. Am I making sense? Everyone has a very wrinkled forehead today. (laughs) I'm afraid. I don't want to make this sound so heady that it... We'll get to that. Okay. So. He's not limited to past, present, and future. But he fills all. This is where your next thing is. He fills all past, present, and future. He fills it. So. So God isn't sitting in the present with us, hoping that the future will just work out because he's worked so hard during all these present times he's been in. Like I've been working hard trying to, you know, start out with Moses, trying to get Moses to children of Israel, trying to work that around, and, and now I'm just really hoping the future really works out, as so if God is trying to figure out... Whether he's pre-millennial or post-millennial. You understand what I'm saying? I think sometimes we think of God this way. We wouldn't put that down on a quiz. You understand what I'm saying? If someone put on a quiz, you know, is God, knows the future. You'd be like, oh yeah, he knows the future. But a lot of times we kind of view God as a God who is trapped in the present with us. Knows the future like some kind of gypsy, right? No, offense, is that, are we still allowed to say gypsy? Uh, some kind of person that reads poems and whatnot. Not that all gypsies did. Okay, well. Um, we'll just, just delete that from the recording. Um, so, um, but we kind of think of God as this, as this future palm reader, right? That's really sure of the future. We may not be totally sure, but he's super sure. Um, but he's beyond that. He fills the future, as well as the past and present. So if you would, turn to Psalms 136. Psalm 136. I wanna, I'm trying to, on purpose, create this academic, high-minded... But accurate view of God. And I'm doing that on purpose because I want you to see that we have this God that is not like us, that doesn't think like us, that doesn't need past, present, and future like us, that doesn't need any of this environment of space-time, like us. Who doesn't even, like we learned last week, doesn't even need us. And whose greatness does not depend on us. Nor does his greatness, and hugeness, and massiveness, and eternity, and infinity, depend on any of this. But... We look at Psalm 136, and it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And the moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. This goes on for 26 verses. And you would think a God like ours, who has this kind of infinity, this kind of greatness above all his Creation, you would think that the thing that keeps getting repeated would be something like God's uh, massive infinity is, is everlasting, or God's power is everlasting, or God's God's judgment is everlasting. But what is emphasized for 26 verses? What was it? This loving kindness is everlasting. So when you're blank, what we have here is God's love has no beginning or end. The reason that God's infinity means something to us isn't just this academic idea of what God's like. But his love for you is infinite. As it hits time-space when he created the world, it becomes eternal. But you understand that God did not start loving you. Isn't that an amazing thought? God did not begin to start loving you. In 1 John says that he first loved us and sometimes we think of the Superman God who made everything and then saw us and like Superman saw Lois Lane saw something he liked and started loving us and he just loved us before we knew who he was and so he was first. But I want you to think about this thought that this infinity of God is a part of who God is in himself so that his love for you wasn't something that began. It was something in his, if we can call this, if we can say it this way, something in his heart always. I mean, what an impossible thought that is, that God's love for you did not begin when he said, let there be light. His love for you was there before there was space, time, a planet, any environment at all, while he was praising and glorifying himself in the Trinity between the persons that glory and love and that And that celebration within himself still resided the love for you. And as we look at our lives and we see things that we wish were different. We see a situation where it feels like God showed a lack of love for us where it feels like God did something in our lives that hurt us or makes us suffer. We have to get rid of the Superman God. And remember, we have an infinite God whose love is also infinite. Not just here for a long time, not just before us, but an infinite love for us. So we find um, also in Romans one twenty. Romans 1.20 is an interesting place to find God's infinity because it is where the unsaved are condemned for what they know. Why are all people condemned? Um, You have heard people say things like, we need to get the gospel out where no one has ever heard the gospel. And that's a wonderful thing. We do need to do that. But no one, no one exists on the earth who doesn't already know there is a God. Did you know that? You don't have to argue with someone about whether there's a God or not. I have found that atheists are usually just playing games because they're upset with the God that they're saying doesn't exist. Um, also, it's lo- illogical to be an atheist because you can't say that you know something doesn't exist. Uh, asserting a negative is a big no-no in logic. It's why most people are, uh, just don't know. I just don't know. Which is a really weak position also. So, in Romans one twenty. Um, It starts off in 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God is angry and his wrath is revealed against those who suppress the truth with their unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. So the people that he's wrathful against, who are suppressing the truth with their unrighteousness, he's saying that 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 which is known about God is evident within them already. For God made it evident to them. Not uh, nature and logic made it evident to them, but God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... What would those be? His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even they, even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. Okay. So his his uh, invisible attributes, his eternal power. There's that word, eternal. And what's eternal? What's eternity? You remember what that, how do we get eternity? Is it too easy of a question so you don't want to, just, you don't want to say it? Or is it, or were we not paying attention? <laughs> do we need a quiz? <laughs> remember eternity, or eternal, that's when the infinite comes into contact with space-time. Then it becomes eternal. Right? So really what we're talking about is his power is eternal to us living in space-time, but we're really saying, if it's eternal, then it's in- infinite. He right? it has an infinite power. So God's power that is infinite, it penetrates our world. Right? So these infinite things about God, they penetrate our world. He affects us with that power. He affects us with his love that is infinite. And it means something here, right now, in this time, at this moment. His love and his power affect us now. I mean, that's a miracle. This is where the philosopher's can't get to Christianity. Philosophers love to talk about a god that is so infinite, and so amazing that he can't get he can't penetrate our world. So he's out here. He made the clock and it goes this clock is the world. This kind of ticks away, people do things. But he can't get to us. He's this impersonal magic Power that's beyond what we can imagine to the point where he has no connection to us. And what we're saying is, according to Scripture, he has penetrated to our world with his love that is infinite and his power. Um, in relation to space, infinity is expressed as what we call immensity. Immensity. He is present, um, this has to do with his presence. But his immensity, again, isn't this size of a god that is so huge that you know, we are our planet is but a particle of his skin or something. Or a particle of his eye because he's so huge. We don't mean that. We mean this. That he is present... At every point of space with his entire being. This is what we're saying when we're talking about God's immensity. That he is present at every point of space with his entire being. So what we mean when we say that God is immense, what we're not saying is God is in this room. We're saying... God fills this room so much that every, every space, every molecule of space you can imagine, he is present fully in his entire being. So the idea that God watches you isn't this idea that he's looking, this uh, Catholic painting idea, that he is this old man peering down from heaven To view this landscape. And he can see you, kind of. He's awfully high. But he can see things pretty well. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not Superman with super good vision that looks down and watches us. But he is present with us fully in his entire being at every single space that you can imagine. Is that hard to understand? Yes, But it also gives you the idea that God is fully present with us at all times. This doesn't mean, I want to make it clear, that this doesn't mean he doesn't uh, fill different spaces differently. For instance, he doesn't fill the heart of an unsaved person the way he fills our heart. So there's a different difference in quality but he sees all things not as an old man peering down from a large, from a high space he is present fully with us in his entire being everywhere i want you to look at uh, psalms 13 psalm 13 I want you to remember the, psalm, the psalms are, uh, are inspired. Okay? These aren't mistakes that God let into his book uh, that David slipped in or something. This is something the Holy Spirit uh, inspired David to write as David was working through hard times in his life. And listen to what David says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I mean, think about how um, in our lives, we often think this way, right? The same way David is thinking. How long, O oh Lord, will you, for, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversity, my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. This is his resolve. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. Here's that loving kindness again. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And so what we have is even though there are times that it feels like we're serving a superman. What's really happening is that God's presence penetrates, not just into space, but into our space. With us, he is here. We can trust him, not because he is far away from us, but then will come. But he's with us right now, right here, fully with us penetrates our space. And so, what we find about this idea of infinity that seems so academic and makes God feel like he's way out here, what we find is that very attribute of God in his infinity. He, uh, if you look at that last line, God is infinitely loving, powerful, and present intimately, with us. This infinity that seems so far away is the very thing that makes him in um, that makes him care for us not just as a mechanic cares for a car, not just as we care for our jobs, but he does it in an intimate way with us. That this infinite this infinity is what colors his love for us, his power to save us, and his presence with us. And it should give us great comfort, even at those times where it feels like he is far away, where it feels like his love has waned for us. That this infinity is so much greater than we can understand that he is not a superman that has superpowers in his love or superpowers in his presence but he penetrates through his infinity to us in a way that is so much greater than we can imagine because he is our God um, I'm sorry I didn't have as many but we do have a little time for questions um, I had to run through that because I wanted to get to those points that make this uh, intimate to us. But what do you, uh, do, do you have any questions? Yes, sir. Is it true to say that since God's love for us is infinite, that it preceded his displeasure with us, thinking about time and space during the fall? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, this is, and this is where it gets kind of tricky. He knew the displeasure would come. But yeah, the the uh, even before time space where the where the displeasure takes takes place, the love is there previously, absolutely. Just just thinking about the the Trinity, we we go into Jesus Christ, right? There we see the infinite become um, almost like a finite mm-hmm. in the form of man. And mm-hmm. when we think about this in context, what is the right what what would be the right application to that? Okay. Um, that's a good question because Uh, Maybe you've heard that phrase, he emptied himself. Um, There's a uh, hymn that really gets it wrong. Emptied himself of all but love, maybe. Uh, And can it be? The emptying there is actually described as what that means. He emptied himself by adding to himself flesh. So what happens when you're infinite? Well, that emptying, that humbling, comes by addition because you need nothing. So, adding something to what does not need anything becomes that humbling, that that um, that taking on the finite is that humiliation that God uh, did for us because of that infinite love He had for us. And, and what a what a what a testament that it has to be when we talk about the giving and kindness. Psalms mm-hmm. points out, and the relationship with how he emptied himself to that. Yes. And humbled himself in that. And That's right. Go that mm-hmm. yes. That's right. So then imagine, you know, in the PCUSA. Starts to question whether Jesus was God at all. You can imagine what a spitting in the face of God that is. Where this is what I think of your infinite love. I spit on. Believe that effect the Jews mm-hmm. say that he was a great prophet. Yeah. So you can you can see what we're what we're doing as we learn more about God is that God is a particular God. Not a general God. So that you deny Christ, you're not serving the same God we are. Even if you want to say we hold to the same first few books of the Bible. Uh, It's not the same one. It's certainly not Allah. Definitely not. It's not the God. We don't serve a God that was a monad in the Old Testament and continues to be a monad today. That is not our God. God is a triune God. You cannot reject Christ and say we serve the same God. Good. All right. Well, we don't want to take up too much more time. We've got to get going. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your gift of your word to us, Lord, that we might know you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself even in your own creation. Pray for wisdom of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we might be able to know you better. We even ask uh, for better knowledge of you, even uh, in our service, Lord. Pray for wisdom uh, for Andrew as he brings your word to us as your servant, Lord. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.